Nick, how do you prove who you are? You mean besides my unmistakable bouncy gait and obsession with trivia and ephemera? I do mean that, yeah. Um, well, my identity is in my wallet at all times. If somebody needs me to prove who I am, I can show them my driver's license. And as someone who very recently got a driver's license, before that, I carried around a passport or a non-driver's ID. Which is considered vital to have. There's a reason various identity documents are called vital records. Your ID essentially proves you are who you say you are. And in some cases, it allows officials to look you up in various databases to check for other records related to your identity. You have to show your ID to fly on a plane, visit a different country, take the SATs. Yeah, to drive a car. And I feel like for people who get their licenses earlier in life, the driver's license moment is like a, a big deal. For me, it was a big deal. And not just because it meant I could drive, but it was like I, I suddenly had this hard plastic certification of who I was that I was supposed to carry with me pretty much always. So what if your ID is wrong? Wrong like there's a typo or my address is wrong? No, trust me, as someone who has moved many, many times, the address thing is a comparatively easy fix. I am talking about something different. I'm talking about gender ID. And that is what we are talking about today. This is Civics 101. I'm Hannah McCarthy. I'm Nick Capodice. Today we are exploring gender identity markers on government documents, what they mean and why they could be changing or disappearing from some documents altogether. And Nick, to set the scene, literally, let's start with our producer, Jackie Fulton, on a field trip to the Massachusetts Registry of Motor Vehicles. Hey, this is Jackie Fulton, and I'm taking you guys on a little field trip. Oh, God. Um, it's very cold out here because I moved to Massachusetts and it's seven degrees. But I'm going to the RMV, which is what they call the Department of Motor Vehicles here, because uh, they're special, to get my license switched over from New Hampshire to Massachusetts. what's really cool about it is that I'm going to get my gender marker changed. So where it normally says M or F, you know, for male or female, Massachusetts gives the option to put an X there. Which is really cool because a lot of states don't even allow it. And the ones that do, you have to have all this medical paperwork and jump through all these hoops and stuff. But the internet has told me that in Massachusetts, I just have to click the box and boom, I get the little X. So that's what I'm on my way to do. And just to clarify, the X signifies not choosing the male or female designation. Yes. And Massachusetts is one of many jurisdictions at this point that allows this X designation on IDs. Oregon was the first state to allow an X um, on state IDs and driver's licenses. And keep in mind, this is a state thing. This is yet another federalism episode, right? So while Oregon, for example, makes this pretty easy, in Utah, it requires a court order. New Mexico requires a doctor's signature. 
As of 2022, 21 states and the District of Columbia have some process for changing an ID to M for male, F for female, or X for non-binary or other identities. And in Massachusetts, it's fairly simple. Okay, I got my face mask on, and I'm ready to go. We'll get back to the RMV in a moment. The lines are long. For now, let's bring in journalist Kate Sawson, who Jackie spoke with for this episode. My name is Kate Sawson. I'm the LGBTQ plus reporter at The 19th. And I have a dog named Iggy, who's very cute. Kate covers transgender rights, incarceration, politics, and public policy. And a quick clarification here, we are going to be speaking about trans people. And that is a pretty big umbrella. Non-binary is also a pretty big umbrella. And all of this comes face to face with the government when an ID requires a gender distinction. So in their conversation with Jackie, Kate started with this idea of what gender means when it comes to identification. Gender is like one of those identifying characteristics. And the fact that it is so complicated is really hard for us to wrap our minds around. It feels like a very basic and it organizes our society in terms of the kind of work we do, the labor we do at home, who we are allowed to love and um, marry and sleep with and the entire trajectory of our lives. Yeah, but societal norms and gender-specific laws in the U.S. have shifted dramatically in the past 50 years. I mean, not everywhere in the U.S., of course, and not in every community, but there have been major changes in the way we think and talk about gender. Yeah, and I think that applies to the notion of a gender binary as well, right? Which means that there are two genders, male and female, and a person is either one or the other. And then there are people who identify with the sex they were assigned at birth, in other words, cisgendered people. And this is pretty much the world reinforced by like those old sexual health videos. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For boys, hair begins to grow on the face. For both boys and girls, hair grows under the arms, in the pubic region, and elsewhere on the body. The breasts of the girl begin to develop. The vocal cords of both boys and girls get larger and their voices deepen. These physical changes make the boy feel more manly and the girl more womanly. Both feel independent. They begin to be interested in members of the other sex, in social activities, and in being together. These are normal feelings. And this is what a lot of people have thought about when they think about gender. Gender is one of those things that it's really fraught in terms of what it is and does it make sense and 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 I think we should talk about when we're talking about gender like are we talking about gender or are we talking about sex right like two totally different things right and so usually when we're talking about a gender marker we're actually talking about sex all right I feel like Kate is getting to this important point which is that gender is a social construct like in that video when the narrator says boys will feel more manly girls will feel more womanly that has to do with ideas uh, about what makes a man or a woman. Yeah, norms, behaviors, what role you play, who you're supposed to be attracted to. And then we have biological male characteristics or female characteristics, uh, a.k.a. your sex. And to clarify, sex is not itself a binary. Some people are intersex. This is another umbrella term for people with reproductive, sexual, or chromosomal anatomy that doesn't fit the binary of male or female. 
the point in all of this being is like, this is deeply complex. Mm. That question of like, does the government need that piece of information is really come under scrutiny in the last couple of years. I talked about the fact that Oregon was the first state to allow the gender non-binary marker X on state IDs and driver's licenses. Starting today, people can walk into the Oregon DMV and update their gender identification to X. Oregon is the first state in the country to offer more than two gender options on identification documents. That was in part because of a court ruling. In 2016, an Oregon Circuit Court ruled that a particular resident of Multnomah County could legally be classified as non-binary. The Transgender Law Center calls this the first ruling of its kind, and it's considered the precedent for similar rulings and law changes across the country. And that includes a lawsuit against the United States State Department that resulted in a non-binary option on passports. As of June 17, 2022, people can self-select their gender marker, be that male, female, or X, without any need for medical documentation and regardless of what any other ID document says on their passports. And just by having that option, what's happening is that the government is saying you and or your body are legally recognized, as opposed to requiring that someone identify as male or female, regardless of whether that's the truth. I think a lot of us, when we think about gender, those two options, male or female, feel like defaults feel easy. But if we think historically about what gender is, it has changed, right? So, you know, women were not always allowed to vote or wear pants. And um, men uh, always had to take out the trash or were not allowed to cry or take care of kids. And that has changed, right? Like we're always trying to change what that looks like. And those rules have changed for trans folks, non-binary folks, people across the gender spectrum. The problems of gender are even more pronounced and uncomfortable. And anytime that you have a situation where there are only those two categories, it becomes really uncomfortable. And so what I like to say to folks is like, think about all the situations where you only have these two options um, that don't feel great for you as a person, right? Because you're being pigeonholed and how painful that might be for someone who those really don't work for. And in situations where you're going to have to identify with a government ID or a system that splits you based on a bathroom, they sometimes can get really painful and even life-threatening. Hannah, you mentioned that the State Department recently announced that people can self-select their gender marker. And I also know that many states across the country have passed anti-transgender legislation, which is legislation that targets people who do not fit into the gender binary. And that includes adhering to the gender you were assigned at birth. Once again, the epicenter is Texas. Governor Greg Abbott and State Attorney General Ken Paxton have directed state agencies to conduct investigations of families when they provide gender-affirming medical care for trans... Calhoun County, the city of Oxford, is taking a side in the debate over restroom access for transgendered people. Yeah, Tuesday, the city council passed an ordinance that makes it illegal for someone to use a public restroom that does not match the gender listed on their birth certificate. A transgender child younger than 19 can get in big trouble if they are getting gender-affirming medical treatment or surgery in Alabama. 
These laws do anything from prohibiting kids from joining gendered sports teams that are not consistent with their sex assigned at birth, to banning gender-affirming health care for minors, to prohibiting discussion of trans identities in school. Yeah, there's been a number of really um, very serious and high-level uh, legislative approaches to cracking down on trans life that are a little bit, I don't know that they're unexpected, but you know, they kind of fall out of line with what seems like the polling or this. If you take a temperature check on where the country is at in terms of these politics, they don't seem to align with where the legislatures are pushing these bills, right? So we've seen hundreds of anti-trans bills in the last two years targeting particularly trans youth in sports and medicine. And poll after poll shows that the country doesn't exactly have an appetite for this. Um, however, a number of these bills have been successful. We're going to dig deeper on gender IDs right after the break. But before we go, did you know that we have a special place where we put all the good stuff that doesn't make it into an episode? That magical place is called Extra Credit, and it is our newsletter. It goes out twice a month on Tuesdays. We keep it fun and interesting, and it's the, it's the kind of thing where you get to take a mini civics vacation from your workday. You can subscribe at civics101podcast.org. We're back. You're listening to Civics 101, and today we are talking about an identification marker that has long been used to say who you are, gender ID. For a long time, as far as state and federal government were concerned, that meant you were either male or female meaning you ostensibly fit society's definitions of boy and girl. But over time, trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming people, people who don't identify with their sex assigned at birth, people who don't fit the gender and sex binaries of boy-girl, male-female, people who transition genders, have asserted their rights in American law. Since the mid-60s, people have been suing to be able to change their gender on various IDs. The fight has been going on for a long time, and as we said earlier, there have been both movements forward and lots of pushback. And we've been talking about the fact that this gender binary can be harmful both internally with people forced to adhere to something they are not and externally with society and systems being built for and only for a gender binary world. Hannah, you mentioned legislation that has been passed that restricts trans and gender nonconforming rights and expression. But what does that look like at the systemic level? So Kate Sawson, the reporter who producer Jackie Fulton interviewed for this story, has followed one aspect of this really closely. One of the biggest pain points here is incarceration. So about two years ago, I did a, a, an investigative project that looked at where trans people were placed in prisons. Now, Kate was reporting on this in the wake of something called the Prison Rape Elimination Act. This was a law passed in 2003. The act set standards for addressing how a prison facility prevents, detects, and responds to abuse. Several provisions of the act were specific to protecting trans people. And it said that trans people had to be placed on a case-by-case -case basis according to where they would be safest. So what that means, basically, is you can't just put a trans person, like a trans woman, in a male prison because she was assigned a male at birth. Out of the 5,000 trans people who are incarcerated that we tracked in every single state um, at NBC News, we found that only 15 people were placed according to the gender that 
they were living, right? So that's just 15 people out of 5,000. In other words, the standards were being largely disregarded in prisons across the country. Almost everyone, and mostly trans women, were being placed with men. Um, So you have all of these women being placed in men's prison, and the rates of sexual assault and sexual violence that they were experiencing were astronomical. And prior to that, consider the role a gender marker plays in an interaction with law enforcement, for example. Initial contact with a police officer is almost certainly going to include presenting an ID. That ID has a gender marker. That gender marker ostensibly determines where you will be assigned in a certain situation. And something we haven't really touched on yet is the fact that trans and gender nonconforming people experience more violence and abuse as it is. One study out of UCLA estimates the rates of simple and sexual assault against trans, non-binary, and gender nonconforming people to be four times that of those rates for cisgender people, which, again, means people who identify with their sex assigned at birth. If you're not able to have any autonomy over how you identify, have any control over where you go and who you are and how you're seen, um, it can be really dangerous. And the same goes for instances where you might be pulled over if you're not in a place that's safe and your ID outs you, for example. Um, people have experienced violence, backlash, um, trying to use a bathroom. Kate told Jackie that media coverage of anti-trans legislation, like news stories about bathroom bills, has actually made things more dangerous for trans people in bathrooms. Because those stories send people on the lookout for trans and gender nonconforming people in bathrooms. The number of trans homicides have nearly doubled in the past couple of years, which is um, really alarming. We had one of the worst years on record in 2019. This past year nearly doubled that. Um, So the rates of violence that we're seeing against trans people just are increasing exponentially as there is more visibility. All those bathroom bills, by the way, are copied and pasted from one bill written by the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is an organization designated a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. It is a group that has, among other things, uh, advocated for the recriminalization of sexual acts between LGBTQ people. Uh, It advocates for sterilization of trans people. And it claims that LGBTQ people are more likely to engage in pedophilia. So that is who created language that ends up being state law. And again, we're circling around this principle that in many cases, the government can demand you adhere to a binary that does not actually exist and then penalizes you when you don't. Essentially, the government can say that your existence is not legally legitimate. And at the federal level, there was one moment in particular when it did seem like this was going to happen. A cold day in 2018 when it came out that the Trump administration was mulling over a policy that would, as the New York Times put it, I think legally erase transgender people from existence was called the Trans Erasure Memo. The Trump administration is reportedly considering a new rule, which would legally define who is male and who is female, which would purposefully exclude transgender people. They have a lot of different things happening with respect to transgender right now. You know that as well as I do, and we're looking at it very seriously. CBS News has obtained a department... And that wasn't too long after former President Trump tweeted that trans people wouldn't be allowed to serve in the military, right? Correct. In 2017, Trump tweeted that the U.S. government would not accept or allow trans people in the military. 
which, by the way, really started to get people talking about whether a tweet from a president counts as formal policy. So here was the justification. Because trans people were too costly to cover in terms of health care and just difficult, unfit for service. And to that question of whether a tweet is policy. Forward. So that's exactly what happened today. The Supreme Court saying this transgender ban can go into effect. It's notable here. After this case, there were reports of a lot of emotional damage and fear in the trans community. Remember what we're talking about in this episode. The way that the government interacts with someone's gender identity. Restrictive precedent at any level can set the tone for policy and legislation to come. Now, this policy is no longer in place. Within hours of being sworn in, President Biden signed one of the most comprehensive protections of LGBTQ plus rights in American history and later announced that the military trans ban was to be lifted. So a lot of the Trump policies that were enacted are now being unraveled at this moment by the Biden administration. But of course, as we've said, there's the federal level and then there's the state level. So at the federal level, you may be able to select your gender identity marker on your passport. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your state is going to allow you the same choice on documents that identify you. Jackie may be at the Massachusetts DMV to get an ID with an X for a gender identity marker. But the same thing couldn't happen in Texas, for example, at least at the moment that this episode is being published. As you said, Hannah, it is federalism through and through. This is one of those state by state basis kind of things. So where can someone go to understand it, to, to navigate it all? There are a whole bunch of organizations, the National Center for Transgender Equality, Trans Lifeline, um, who have guides on how to update your gender marker based on where you live. But about half of states at this point, maybe more than half, have rolled out gender marker X's, which allow you to have either what they call a non-binary gender marker or a decline to have a gender marker at all on your driver's license or state IDs. And um, you can either do a sort of self-attestation or you have to prove. Even if a person lives in a state that allows a gender marker change, actually getting it done can look very different from state to state. There's a lack of continuity across the states at this moment. And I've heard from so many trans people who say, I'm afraid to get this because I know that it's going to out me. And I've heard from cis people who say, I really want to get this because I want to do this in solidarity, or I actually don't have any interest in my gender marker being on my documents, and I don't think it's anyone's business, so I'm going to get the X regardless. So yeah, it's it's really a patchwork. And uh, if you want a different gender marker than the one that was assigned to you, you're probably going to have to do a lot of homework and pay some money in order to get it updated. And for producer Jackie Fulton, Massachusetts made it relatively easy. Back to the RMV. Now serving R34. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, well, that was easy. <laughs> is really nice. My paperwork, it says non-binary, which is cool because gender is a social construct and the, no one needs to know what's between my legs for me to be able to operate a motor vehicle. <laughs> one last question, Hannah. 
Ultimately, we're trying to understand gender markers on IDs in this episode. And increasingly, you've got states across the country saying, okay, you have the option of not adhering to a gender binary or of changing your ID to male or female. But what about another option entirely? What about simply eliminating gender identity markers on certain forms of ID? Is that something anybody has considered? In a lot of cases, there is a push to get rid of gender markers on IDs altogether. Um, in the U.S. in particular, the Biden administration has signaled that they want to get rid of gender markers where they're not needed. The thing is, there is no federal law or international standard that requires that U.S. birth certificates, for example, list gender. The perspective of some trans and non-binary and gender non-conforming people and advocates, you know, the people who live with the consequences of these markers, is that gender is personal. There are those who say that gender need not be a government-sanctioned, government-defined state of being, that the physical or paperwork history behind someone's gender should have no bearing on whether or not it is respected. Of course, it is up to the government to decide where and whether those markers are needed and how they should be used. So we're just going to have to stay tuned. This episode was produced by Jackie Fulton and me, Hannah McCarthy, with help from Nick Capodice and Christina Phillips. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer. Music in this episode by Zylo Zyko, Halizna Raps, and New Deal Records. You can find a lot more where this came from at our website, civics101podcast.org. Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio.